0: just uh, one other quick thing I want to mention. I mentioned it last week. Uh, this Thursday is our first ever night of prayer and worship here at Crosspoint. It's going to happen in this room, 7 p.m. We're going to have child care for all of you that need it. And so um, when it comes to this night, I would say a few things. One, if you're somebody in the room who needs prayer, right, I want to invite you to come. And, and let's be honest, we all need prayer, don't we? Uh, but, but if you're somebody in the room who, who knows, man, something's going down in my life, and if God doesn't move and act, um, I, I'm in trouble. Like If that's you, we want you to come and, uh, and be prayed for. We're going to take time throughout the night to sing, to take communion, to get our hearts ready corporately together. We're going to pray over needs that exist in our lives, in our church, in our community, our world. And then for individuals who need prayer, we're just going to open it up. And our prayer team, pastors, elders will be here to pray with and for people. I would also say if there's somebody in the community that you know is desperate for God to do something in their life, invite them. Invite them to come. We'd love to pray with them. We'd love to pray for them. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I can't promise you that if you come, all your problems will magically disappear. All I can problem, uh, promise is that you'll be loved and you'll be prayed for. All right? So I hope you'll join us Thursday night, 7 o'clock. I think it's going to be an incredible, incredible time. Well, let's grab our Bibles. Uh, We're in week eight of a series on the book of James, and we're in James chapter four today. If you have your Bible, grab it. If you have a device, then you can turn your Bibles on. Go there with me. James chapter four. A couple years ago, I got invited to be a part of a leadership cohort with a handful of other young pastors from across the country. And at our very first meeting, one of the mentor pastors, he shared something with us that I thought was brilliant. And I want to share just a small portion of it with you today. It looked like this. If I can get this thing going here. It looked like this. Uh, This guy, he said that inside these boxes are the four things that every effective leader must do each day. They have to, to dream up new ideas. They have to set goals to bring those ideas to life. They then have to put systems and structures in place so that goals can be accomplished. And along the way, they have to remove problems that might prevent these goals from from being realized. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, James, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you thought that was brilliant. What's this have to do with me? I thought you might think that. So I got to thinking, look, I think you'll agree this isn't just a picture of leadership. This is a picture of life. I mean, think about it. Don't we all have dreams and ideas of what we want the future to look like? And we'll even go a step further and we'll start setting goals, won't we? Well, my goal is to get into that specific school so I can earn this type of degree and land in this type of job field. By this age, I really want to get married and and, and get settled down. And after so many years pass, I want us to start having kids. And by that time, I hope my family, we have a, a house in this type of neighborhood, in this certain community, so that my kids can go to this certain school. And the list just goes on and on. And so what we'll do is we'll put systems and structures in place. Or in other words, we'll start making all our plans to bring those goals to realization. And then along the way, we'll remove problems that might stand in the way of our dreams, our hopes, and our ideas being realized. Now, why am I sharing this? Well, I'm sharing it with you because today we're talking about plans. And we're going to learn that the most important question any of us can ask as we're dreaming and planning for the future is this question. Is God included or excluded from my plans? But with that question in mind, we're going to dive in. James 4, we're going to pick up and start reading in verse 13. Check it out. James says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So in this passage we're reading, James, he's writing to the merchant class of his day. These were wealthy business people making plans to go on business trips to increase their wealth. And in the midst of their planning, James he writes to them and he reminds them along with us of two critical truths that we need to keep in mind as we dream and plan for our future. The first truth is this: life is uncertain. We have all experienced the uncertainty of life at times, haven't we? Here we were, busy making plans, and then something happened. And that something completely derailed all our plans. Earlier in the series, I shared with you that my wife and I, right after we got married, about 10, uh, almost 11 years ago now, 11 years next month, right after we got married, uh, we moved to Miami, Florida to help a good friend of mine plan a church. And the plan was this we would go, I would get a job in business sales so that we could actually eat and have a place to live. And, and as the church grew, because of course it's going to grow. I mean, we're, we're charging hell with water pistols. God's going to honor that. We're going to reach this city in the name of Jesus. Of course it's going to grow. And when it grows, well, I'll finally be able to quit my job in sales and devote all my time to being a pastor. Well, unfortunately, things didn't go according to plan. Uh, instead of the church growing and me quitting my job to be a pastor, the church folded and I quit being a pastor. That time in my life reminded me life is uncertain. And from the looks of what's going on in the room, heads are nodding. Some of you, like me, know that truth uh, in a very familiar way from certain experiences in your life. James says it best, doesn't he? We all make plans for tomorrow, but none of us know what tomorrow will bring. But what are you doing tomorrow? All the non-planners in the room said, "I don't know, bro. I'm just gonna figure it out. <laughs> right? We'll see." If you're like me, though, you know what you're doing tomorrow, right? I've got some exciting things coming up tomorrow and and this week. uh, Tomorrow I have a call with my personal leadership coach to talk about life and ministry. On Tuesday I get to hang out with my men's group I lead. And then I'm having lunch with a friend to talk about all this prayer stuff. On Wednesday I'll actually be in Atlanta talking with a group of pastors about the possibility of us planning churches together. And then on Thursday, I'll be here, hanging out with hopefully a lot of you for our first ever night of prayer and worship. I'm excited about this week, but but here's what I know. As excited as I am, and in spite of all my planning and all my preparation, anything could happen at any moment, and my plans could be in the toilet. And the same is true for you. Life is uncertain. The second truth that James mentions is this. Life is short. Life is short, and he makes his point with this question. What is your life? I wonder, do you have an answer to that question? Like, do you know why you're here? How you got here? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing with your life while you're here? What's going to happen after you're not here anymore? These are huge questions, aren't they? And ultimately, they answer the one big question we started with, the one that James asks, what is your life? I love his answer. He says this, your life is a mist. If you've ever gone outside on a cold day and <sighs> blown into the air, or, or if you've been cooking and maybe you're boiling water and you're watching the steam come off the top of the pot, James says that's a picture of your life. You're here for a short time, and then you vanish. Look, in this passage, we're presented with a reality that I know none of us like to think about, but we all need to talk about because we're all going to face it one day, and that reality is what? Yeah. It's death. It's death. Death. Yeah, just this last week, I was forced to think about my own death. Really strange, really weird. I told you tomorrow I have a call with my leadership coach, and one of the things he's having me do is walk through a life planning process. And the first step of the process was to write my own eulogy as if my life ended today. Really weird. And so he sent me a couple questions to help me think through it. The questions were these. Who would you want to be remembered by? And what do you hope they would remember about you? As I thought about my answers, the first people that came to mind were my wife and my daughters. Like I hope if my life ended today, they would remember me as a man who loved Jesus more than anything else in life and who always put them first behind him. I pray that my wife would remember me as a man who did everything in my power to love her just like Jesus loves his church. I hope that my girls would remember me as a loving, gentle father who always showed them the same grace and compassion that God's given me. Next, I thought about the people in my life who know me best, my close friends, the people I work with every day, the elders here at our church. I'll tell you, my goal in life is to be respected most by those who know me best. And so I pray that if my life ended today, those people would remember me as a guy who was the same all the time. That I wasn't the guy who got up on this platform on Sundays and preached a big game. That's where it stopped. But I was that guy who stepped off the platform and lived the same life I just preached about Monday through Saturday. That's my hope. And then next I thought about all of you. Like I really hope if, if my life ended today, you'd remember me as a guy who poured my life out for your sake that I was a pastor so in love with Jesus that I did whatever it took to make sure he was always the most famous person in this church. I'll tell you, this simple practice, it reminded me, please don't miss it, it reminded me that the most important day of my life is the last day. It also reminded me that I don't know when my last day will be. So I need to make sure I'm living every day of my life here on the earth as if it could be my last day. And hear me, the same is true for you. Life is short. We don't know when that day will come for us. And the question that matters most is this. Do your plans and dreams for tomorrow cause you to live for what matters most today? Life is short. We've got to live for what matters most. Um, I I think at this point, there's probably some of us in the room who might be thinking this. James, uh, is the James of the Bible telling us we shouldn't plan Like it almost sounds like he's saying life is short, life is uncertain, so throw away your calendars, your budgets, your smartphones, just kind of go with the ebb and flow of life. I know that might excite some of us in the room, but I'll tell you that's not what he's saying. It's not what he's teaching. In fact, if you read other portions of the Bible, go back to Proverbs, you'll find that there is great wisdom and great blessing in planning for the future. All James is teaching is this, and if you're taking notes, you can write it down. He's teaching us that it's not wrong to plan, it's wrong to exclude God from your plans. It's not wrong to plan, it's it's wrong to exclude God from your plans. And in verses 15 and 16, he tells us why. So pick back up and read with me. Verse 15, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil. So James tells us, look, when we ignore the uncertainty and the brevity of life and we boast about all of our future dreams and and future plans, that's arrogant and it's evil. And why? Well, because in doing so, we make some evil, arrogant assumptions. And I'll show them to you. There's three in particular. Here they are. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I can compartmentalize. And I'll just walk you through them. First, I'm in charge. I call the shots. It's my life. I can do what I want, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Nobody can tell me what to do. And why? Well, because I'm in charge of me. Next, I'm in control. Uh, This is what the world wants you to believe, that you are the master of your own destiny, that if you'll just do uh, what you want, how you want to do it, that you can control and manipulate, manipulate all of life's results. And then finally, this one's dangerous, really dangerous. I can compartmentalize. Picture your life as a set of boxes, if you will. You've got your marriage box, you've got your kids' box, uh, you've got your work box, your hobby box, and then you have your God box. And you come to church on Sunday so that you can take God out of his box and sing some songs and listen to a message. You, you, You can say you did it, right? Keep God happy. But throughout the rest of the week, you don't ever let God out of his box to affect your other boxes, And by failing to do so, you make all your own plans for your future, both personally and professionally, while excluding God in the process. These assumptions are evil for the following reasons. First, they dismiss God's sovereignty. They dismiss God's sovereignty. I'm working hard right now to teach my four-year-old daughter that she is in charge and in control of nothing. (laughs) She's not quite understanding it. But I can't be too hard on her because most of us adults don't understand it either. Right? doesn't matter if you're 4, 24, 54, 84. A lot of us like to believe the lie that we're in charge and we're in control when we're not. It's an illusion that we believe. In reality, let's be honest, when we try to act in charge or or act in control of life, don't we just mess it up anyway? There's one person in charge and there's one person in control. You're not him. It's God and him alone. But these assumptions are evil and arrogant for a second reason, which is this. They dismiss our dependency on God. If you're taking notes, I'll give you something to write down. This is huge. Don't miss it. We can't believe the lie that we don't need God until we need him. Are you with me? We can't believe the lie that we don't need God until we need him. Well, I don't really need God at work unless work goes bad and I lose my job. No, I don't need God in my marriage unless marriage goes bad and I'm looking at divorce. I don't need God in my personal life unless I'm sick, suffering, or struggling. No, you need him. You need him every day. You need him when life is good. You need him when life is bad. You need him in the valleys, and you need him on the mountaintops. As the Bible teaches, your life and mine is completely dependent on God. This is why, look, this is why God's not ever going to be content staying in that little box some of us try to put him in. He won't even be content appearing at the top of some priority list you've created. God's desire is to be at the center of your life and list, infiltrating and influencing every aspect of who you are, so that day by day you remember just how much you need Him. This is why James. Look, this is why James says we should say, "If the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that." Please hear me. That's not a cliche statement. I know you'll meet those Christian people, oh, if the Lord wills, right, and it's just cliche. This is a conviction, James points out, that we should live our lives by. His point is this, and you can write it down. We should plan while including God in our plans. That's what he's trying to say here when he's saying, man, you should look at life and go, well, if the Lord wills, we'll do it. You should plan while including God in your plans. And how do you do that? How do you include God in your plans? Well, I'll give you three simple ways to do it. Here it is take your plans do his word that's first i think oftentimes we as people want to believe the lie that god's plan or his will for our lives it's elusive it's mysterious right he's playing this torturous game of hide and seek with his will for us when in reality that's not the case you want to know where to find god's will right here in the pages of this book god's will is in his word in the pages of this book, he's revealed who you are, who he is, and exactly what he wants for you and from you. And as you're dreaming and making plans for your future, I would tell you always take those plans back to God's Word and ask this question Do my plans contradict his will? If they do, time for a change of plans. But if not, you can keep moving forward and go to the next step. And the next step is this take your plans to prayer. You need to take all your plans before God in prayer. And ask for wisdom. God, am I seeing this clearly? God, am I missing something? I've gone to your word, and and I don't think my plans contradict your will. but, But if they do, God, would you show me? God promises when we ask for that kind of wisdom, he'll give it to us. And when he gives it to you, if you sense something is off, look, time to change your plans. But if God gives you peace in prayer... Keep moving forward. Again, don't just stop there, all right? Next, finally, you need to take your plans to wise people. The Bible has a lot to say about wise counsel. Wise counsel is important because oftentimes other people can see things in our life that we can't see. To receive wise counsel, here's what you need to do. You need to go to that person who loves Jesus more than they love you, that person who loves you enough to be honest with you, even if it's going to sting a little bit. What you don't need to do is take your plans to that person in your life that's the yes man or the yes woman. They're just going to tell you your plans are awesome no matter, no matter what they are. Oh, yeah, sounds awesome. Do whatever makes you happy. That sounds great. And next thing you know, you're driving off a cliff and you've just destroyed your life, right? Don't go to them. That's called unwise counsel. What you need is wise counsel. So take your plans to wise, godly people and lay your plans before them and say, am I missing something? Do you see this how I'm seeing it? I've prayed about it. I've sought the word of God. I think my plans are okay. But, but man, do you see something I'm not seeing? And if they go, oh yeah, I sure am. Here it is. Look, time to change your plans. But if that wise, godly person looks at you and says, no, hey, I think you're on something here. You should move forward. Well, move forward. Pop quiz time, right? In light of all this, pop quiz, here's the question. What is it called when you take your plans to his word? You take your plans to prayer and you take your plans to wise people. You know what it's called? Some, who said it? Close. Here's what it is. Everybody fails, all right? Here's what it is. It's called humility. It's called humility. It's you going to God and saying to Him, God, here are all my plans. I am recognizing you're in charge you're in control. I'm dependent on you. And God, what I want to do is trust you enough to allow you to change my plans if that's what you want to do. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want. And God, if you want to change what I want, I'm going to trust that it's the best and the right thing for me. And here's the deal. If God doesn't change your plans, the good news is this. You get to say, you know what? I've sought the Lord humbly. And as far as I can tell, my plans line up with his will, so I'll keep moving forward. James, he offers one final thought in verse 17, and it's a big one. Go back to the passage with me. Let's read. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's what? It's sin. It's sin. There are two types or two categories of sin in the Bible. Uh, The first is what we would call sin of commission. This is when you do something that God has clearly said not to do. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't sleep with someone you're not married to. Uh, When you know that God has said don't do these things and you do them anyway, you have committed a sin of commission. The, The second type of sin is what we would call sin of omission. And this is what James mentions here in verse 17. This is when you fail to do something that God has clearly told you to do. Are you with me? So, hey, give generously, but you don't give generously. Love your neighbor as yourself, but you don't love your neighbor as yourself. Care for the poor, you don't care for the poor. Tell people about Jesus, but you don't tell people about Jesus. I got to thinking this past week as I'm writing my message, why do we do that? Why do we commit sins of omission? Why do we open the Word or or hear it preached on a Sunday and then treat certain commands of God as if they're optional? Look, I'll propose a thought. You ready? Here's my thought. Could it be that we're worried about our plans getting messed up? James, I have all these plans to buy all these nice things. And, and you know what? If I practice generosity like God wants me to practice generosity, that's going to mess up my plans. Well, James, I have all these plans to be uh, at this certain place in my career by, by uh, this time. And, and, you know, if I do that whole love your neighbor as yourself thing, that might slow me down. All the successful people I know are ferocious. They always put themselves first. So this whole love your neighbor as yourself, that's going to mess my plans up. Or what about this? What about this? James, if I really start to care for the poor, I really might start to care for the poor. And what happens if that happens? Like what if God asked me to pack up all my stuff and move to like the middle of Africa or something? What if God asks me to open the doors of my home to the orphan, to the widow, to the homeless, to anybody who needs a place to lay their head and find love and rest? James, if that happens in my life, bro, it's going to mess up all my plans. Look, if that's our mindset, we're back to arrogant, evil boasting, aren't we? We're not coming to God humbly with all of our plans, saying to him, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. No, instead, we're busy, again, making our own plans while excluding God in the process. So where do we go from here? Like, what do we do with all this? Well, I want to give you a few thoughts, and then we'll be done. All right, three quick things. First is this. I would encourage you, always write your plans in pencil. And we nod, and we laugh, because we know how true this is, right? God oftentimes is the great interrupter of plans. But because God is a good, gracious, loving father, we can always trust and be confident that if God changes our plans, it's because one, there's either something better for us or two, there's something more glorifying to him. I saw this truth on Friday come to life in a real way for me. Uh, I, along with one of our other pastors, Matt Warren, we went to Atlanta and we hung out with a friend of mine named Terrence. Terrence leads a ministry there called Love Beyond Walls to the Poor and the Homeless. And so on Friday, man, we're just hanging out with people, coming in and off the streets, uh, serving them, loving on them, feeding them, praying with them, just whatever we could do. Uh, It was such a great day. But I'll tell you, at first, Terrence had no intentions on going to Atlanta and starting this ministry. That wasn't his plan. His plan was to go to Atlanta and plant a church. But when he got there, unfortunately, the church never really got traction. But this community service stuff he was doing with the poor and homeless, it took off. And so after seeking the Lord and seeking wise counsel, Terrence started sensing, wow, I think God's changing my plans. And so he shut the doors of his church, and he focused all his time and energy on love beyond walls, and in the two years that it's existed, God has blessed it tremendously. As I'm standing there alongside Terrence on Friday, here was the thought I had. What if he would have said no to those plans? What if he'd have said, you know what, God, I came to Atlanta to plant a church, and and God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to plant a church. He would have missed out on God's plans for his life, wouldn't he? And the same is true for us. You and I, we can't ever be so set on our own plans that we miss out on God's plans for our lives. We need to write our plans in pencil and allow God to erase and change them if that's what he wants to do. Secondly, you and I, we need to live with the end in mind. Lately, I've had a lot of people asking me about this tattoo on my arm. Um, I I don't know why. I've just got a lot of questions, and so I thought I'd save myself a hundred different conversations and just tell you what it means, all right? Uh, This is a symbol seen in many African cultures, and it's known as the ladder of death. Uh, The people, they use it as a reminder each day that life is going to end, and they don't know when, but each and every day, they're climbing one rung closer to death, and in light of that, they should spend their entire lives here on the earth living for eternal things. For me personally, it's my reminder to live every moment of every day for the moment I see Jesus face to face. Here's my question. Is that the moment you're living for? Like, do you get out of bed each day and go, today could be the day? I could see him today. Like, are you living with the end in mind? If you're someone in the room who doesn't know Jesus, I'll tell you, that's where it's got to start for you. The only way to be ready for the end of your life is by putting your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I want to tell you, God loved you enough 2,000 years ago in spite of all that he knew you'd do when you showed up here on the earth to put his son on a cross for you. I find that amazing that Jesus knew what he was dying for in my life before he ever went and he still went. The same is true for you. He hung on that cross, and he paid the price that your sins deserved in your place. Three days later, he rose from the dead so that you and I, we could have new and eternal life. And it's a gift. It's a free gift. We don't have to earn it. We don't work for it. We simply ask for it. And God gives freely to anyone who calls on his name. I'm telling you, man, the only way to get ready for death is by looking to Jesus. Only he can save you from death because only he has overcome death. And if you don't know him today, not tomorrow, not next week, you need to call on Jesus and ask him to do in your life what only he can do. Now, for those of us who know Jesus, the way that we get ready for that moment is by living each day for what matters most. And I wonder if you're doing that. Like we live for the honor and glory of King Jesus, but we live to advance the news of his kingdom here on the earth. We love our spouse like God calls us to love our spouse. Not so that we can point to us and go, look what a great husband I am. Look what a great wife I am. But so that our marriage has become a picture of the gospel to the world. Right? We, we parent our kids in the same way God is parenting us. And why? Not so that we can brag about how awesome of a parent we are and, and post all this great stuff on Pinterest that we're doing. And you guys should be the same kind of mom or dad as me. Right? No, we do it so that our faith can be passed down to future generations. And like Jesus, hear me, like Jesus... We become a servant to all. We put other people before ourselves day in and day out. We should look at other people around us and ask the question, how can I consider their needs before considering my own, that they might experience the same grace and mercy that God has shown me? Are those the things you're living for? Do the things that matter most in life matter most to you? Right? If not, I would say first, remember what Jesus has done for you, and then set your sights on the finish line of life And live each day with the end in mind. And then finally, finally, I would tell you to stop omitting and start submitting. A few weeks ago, uh, one of the missionaries that our church worked with in Burkina Faso, Africa, was killed in a terrorist attack that took place there. His name was Mike Rittering. And I'll never forget the first time I met Mike. Uh, We're sitting at the orphanage that he and his wife Amy ran out in this little village called Yako. And he's sharing the story with us of how they ended up in Africa. And he said to me something that it stuck with me to this day. He said, James, this whole process has taught me that there is a big difference between a committed Christian and a submitted Christian. He said, I've always said I was a committed Christian. Served the church, gave money, did all the right things, uh, served as as youth pastors. These people, they were entrepreneurs. Uh, They owned businesses, successful people in South Florida. Again, Mike's going, "I, I would have always said I was committed he said, but when God called us to lay down our businesses, to sell our stuff, and to move to Africa to serve orphans and widows, I had to wrestle with, not I was, with whether or not I was truly submitted. Was I willing to lay all my hopes, all my dreams, and all my plans before the Lord and say to him, not what I want, but what you want? It's easy to say we're committed, isn't it? I'm in church. I serve. I give my money. I try to help in the community. That's great. Like, those things are awesome. You should do those things. But but what matters more than your commitment is your submission. Are you someone truly willing to lay all your plans, hopes, and dreams before the Lord and say to him, not what I want but what you want? It's not about my will. It's about your will. See, I have to believe that there are some of us here today who know exactly what God wants us to do. And we're ignoring it. And why? It's going to mess up our plans. And if that's you, here's what I'd say to you. My challenge is this. It's time for you to stop ignoring God. To stop omitting what you know God wants to do in your life. To let his dreams and his plans become your dreams and your plans. It's time to finally submit your life to him. Here's how we're going to close. Our band, they're going to come and lead us in a song that they uh, sang just a couple of weeks ago. Every time I hear it, it just moves my heart. And, uh, and I pray that it does the same for you today. In just a moment, um, we're going to stand, and our prayer team's going to be here along with me. And if you're someone in the room who's holding tightly to your plans, to your hopes, to your dreams, and you know, you know what, today, today's the day I submit. Today's going to mark a new beginning in my life. It's not about what I want anymore, it's about what He wants. If that's you, I would invite you, come and pray with us. We believe there's great power in you being prayed with or or for by someone else. And so we'd love to pray with you. Or you can do what people did last gathering and just come and kneel at the front of this room. And we'd love just to place a hand on your shoulder and pray over your life. But before we respond in that way, look, I I would say to you, if you're in the room today and you don't know Jesus, you got to know him. you got to know him today, right now. And if you know that you need to put your faith in him, I want to help you do it in this moment. All right, so let's just bow our heads and close our eyes all around the room. I often say in moments like these that prayer doesn't save people, Jesus saves people. But it's through prayer that we go to God and we confess to Him who we believe Him to be and we ask Him to do in our life what only He can do. So if you know that you're that person, you're not ready for the end of life, you're searching that question, what was life about? Why am I here? What am I living for? You, You don't have answers because you haven't looked to the only one who can give you answers just yet, if that's you and you know you need to put your faith in Jesus, you need the new life that only he can offer, you need to be ready for the end of life whenever that day might come, I would just say right now, in the quietness of your heart, just pray something like this to God. Say to him, God, I need you. I'm done being in control. I'm done pretending like like I'm in charge of me. God, I'm dependent on you. I need you. Gotta confess today that I'm a sinful person who needs a Savior. And I believe Jesus is the Savior I need. I put my faith in, in His death for me. I put my faith in His resurrection. And God, I ask You through Jesus to give me new life and eternal life. God, change me. Take control of my life today. God, and I pray that, that Your dreams and plans for me God, would become my plans and dreams for the future. God, thank you for saving me. I say yes to Jesus. If you just prayed with me as we stand together in a moment, I just really want to encourage you not to stand there at your seat, but to instead come to me. I'll be here at the front of the room or you can come to one of our prayer team members and just tell them, just tell them, I said yes to Jesus. That's all you need to say. We're not going to make it weird, all we want to do is pray with you, celebrate your decision, and then we're going to give you some free stuff, some free resources to help you get started in your new relationship with Christ. God, our prayer is that you'd move in power during these next few moments. God, do things in our lives that only you can do. God, have your way in this place and give us what we need to submit and surrender all of who we are to you. God, thank you for loving us.